I used to fix computers for a living, and one thing we ended up having to do a lot to get people to use Chrome was change the icon of Chrome to the Internet Explorer icon and then rename wow. Chrome. I'm not even making wow. this up. I would do that because I was so sick of fixing the same thing. Granted, I was getting paid, but it was just an aggravation. I was like, you know what? Check this out. And from that point on, never a problem. Here's a here, new wow. <laughs> here you go, sir. We've upgraded your, your Internet Explorer 6. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. It was that. But they were so in the habit of clicking that blue E. Even if you deleted it from the desktop and hit it somewhere, they would be like, they'd call you and be like, where's the Internet? <laughs> what? Yeah. Where's the Internet? What is that? Use Chrome. No, I don't know what that is. I need Internet Explorer. Oh, my gosh. And my so, users are not that bad. Holy cow. Well, you don't live in Montana. Please. Wednesday, August 29th, 2012, episode number 22 of Yats. It's yet another tech show at yetanothertechshow.com. My name is Matt Lee. Joining me tonight, the full cast, the crew, the boys are back. Aunt Pruitt, what's up, man? What's happening, gentlemen? What's going on? Larry Press, how you doing, sir? Howdy, guys. Mike Rothman, what's going on? Mike <laughs> Rothman, unmute. What's going on? <laughs> Mike is speechless once again. Every time. Once again, like he said, the boys are back. The boys are back, and they're muted. So it's the show brought to you by the Deaf Company. Creating content for you online, if you can't hear. Speaking to my good ear. No, my other good ear. So I'm back, had a little vacation. I'm sure if you want to hear all about it, you can find where to do that at online. I'll just leave it there. Uh, Welcome. Lot. Thank you. Did you guys miss Welcome. me? I saw you guys. We missed you, man. You guys oh, did hell a show. Yeah, we did. Oh yeah. Ants that was like some I'm, work. I'm never hosting another <laughs> podcast again. That was some work, uh, right? Uh, I'm glad. You know, I should do that every now and then, just so you all can remember. Like, no, you This shouldn't. is more than. No. This isn't <laughs> just pressing. When, when we when we get unappreciative, you gotta you gotta leave <laughs> That's right. town. You guys get <laughs> too. You guys turn into divas a little too much. I'll, I'll, I'll snap the whip, bring you all back to reality. Uh, we do this show once a week. This is number 22. Like I said, yet another tech show.com. All of our information is up there. You could even find pictures of us if you wanted to use facial recognition. I mean, how cool is that? Who's scared of facial recognition? Anyone? I saw an, uh, an article just kind of browsing through the, the Google News tech, and it says... Why you should be afraid of facial recognition. Which kind of. It's so silly to me because, I mean, we facially recognize all the time, all day. Every time I look at somebody, like, that's facial recognition. And they, because it's a computer doing it, and, you know, a, a soulless, cold machine, people get afraid of it. Or, you know, they don't. People are scared of what they don't understand. They don't get, you know, it's it's just eyes. They're just little computer eyes looking at you. I've been called soulless and cold in a machine. 
Yeah, well, let's leave our exes out of this, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> hey, to, to be devil's advocate, though, I mean, you can imagine sort of scanning the crowd at a political rally and deciding who to go after and shit like that. Yeah, but do you need? I mean, the technology, of course, would help that. I mean, if you if you saw the latest Mission Impossible movie at the beginning, uh, the agent has on these lenses. I don't know if I mentioned this before, but uh, and he's walking through this crowd, and it's like constantly. It's what I hope Google Glass will eventually be: this nice augmented reality overlay showing him, you know, faces, and then he finds the match of the person he's looking for, and then you know goes goes that way. But just as yeah. easily done, like the old school days, Larry and Mike, uh, with eyeballs and just looking and, and scanning, you know? Nothing to be afraid of, though. You, you couldn't go to a, to a political rally with 100,000 people and kind of scan and know everybody that was there. Not at once. It'd take a little work, but what, are we getting lazy or what? I mean, come on. It's doable. Well, you, could, you could imagine an oppressive regime misusing that if, if you were... Oh, you know, in a protest situation. Absolutely. But I mean, if if we worry about the what ifs, people can use their vehicles as weapons all the time, but we don't make people stop driving. I mean, it, it's what if we got to do is I'll just start wearing ski masks. Yeah, I was going to say, like the, the paper bag. You ever watch the TV show uh, Delocated? It's like a reality TV show, but he's in the witness protection program, so his voice has changed, and he always has a mask. It's so funny. But same idea. Same idea. I need to look that up. So let's do, uh, before we get into uh, the, the main tech news, we have a, a quick update on the NASA Mars Curiosity rover. It actually moved. So... Right on. <laughs> it's moving. It's about six, 60 feet, right? Something uh, like that? Uh, 52 feet. The the last one, the one you're talking about, is like they did a 360, mm-hmm. went forward, and then went back where they started. Just yeah. to, you know, you got to make sure this stuff works. We don't want it running I hear, into the, I hear they laid rubber. They, they, bur- <laughs> they peeled out, did a couple brodies. In the, <laughs> the next people that go to Mars are going to see all these, like, donut tracks in the, the regular. <laughs> Actually, they did send back a picture of the tracks in the, in the Yeah, surface. it's, it's kind of eerie looking. If you, if you separate yourself from this reality and think that this is, like, 10 million miles away on this planet, like, it, it really starts to kind of blow your mind a little bit. Just, you know, we landed totally. that thing out there. Don't you think it'd be fun to be on the joystick? Yeah. I'm I'm still getting ready to sign up for the Mars One mission, 2023. I'm going. Actually, I want to be on the third team that gets there, not the first or the second. There you go. I'll be on now the third are. team. The back. Are you signing up for the program where it's like a one way ticket? Yes. Okay. See you guys later. <laughs> I figure by the time I'm 41, they will be launching the first mission. And if you're one of those, it's four people, and I'll, I'll put links to the Mars One thing. I find it really interesting that this guy wants to do it, and he talked to the big brother, the guy who created Big Brother, and he said, you know, how are we going to finance this? And the big brother guy's like, we're going to turn this into a reality show, man. <laughs> like, I mean, what happens when people stop being polite on Mars? You know, that's mm-hmm. you can't just boot them off the island or, or out the airlock, or, I mean, maybe you, you could. You <laughs> There's no police there, right? You can't send them outside to take a time out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Go to the moon, time out. <laughs> but it's a, it's an interesting idea that you can fund it just because you're going to turn it into this massive media event of sorts. You're going to film the trip there once they get there, see how they survive. 
I was kind of wondering to myself, are they going to do like Big Brother and say, if you do this, this thing will give you food. Or if you, you know how they do different like uh, tasks. I, right. I don't know if you've ever watched it. I was in London a long time ago and that's all that was on all the channels. It's just Big Brother. Like, shh, change it. I don't know. It doesn't seem to me that the, 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 the one-way ticket idea is the way we do things. Well, how else? They were saying that there's no other feasible way to, like, if you have to land a rocket on Mars and then still have enough juice to get it back, it's way okay. harder than to just drop it there and say, here you go. Have fun. But it, it's all using today's technology. It's all, I mean, if you go to the site, Mars One, the, the guy has like the whole thing planned out. I, I was really impressed by it. I mean, it looks like you're living in these little greenhouses, these little domes. It's kind of like Biodome, minus Polly Shore, whom I would boot out first if that was Quick. the case. <laughs> Very quickly. <laughs> Very quickly. You're off. We're not even there yet. Shut up. <laughs> I'm sick of you. <laughs> But yeah, so uh, back to the main point. Mars rover, uh, they're they're out, they're driving. It went 52 feet, uh, I believe, and it's on its way to the first science destination. Uh, and I don't know why NASA had Will I Am of the Black Eyed Peas there, but hey, who am I to judge? You know, we're all rap artists here. Come on. I think I think NASA has some really smart PR people. Yeah. I mean, how else do you appeal to the sheeple of the world than to get Will I Am of the Black Eyed Peas? I mean, <laughs> well, also the whole fourteen minutes of terror, you know, and the the, the countdown for the landing. It was very and, climactic and movie esque. It was like yes. watch this film we made, <laughs> and that that little three uh, D digital animation of the landing, you know, with the with the. Uh, uh, dropping the the module, the last the parachute feet. and all, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that was so cool. That was cool. That was way that, cool. That was, was enough to give uh, the boy in me uh, a, a new lease on life. Yeah, right. Me too. Uh, that Mike. was the only time I was interested is when they got closer to the time of it, you know, and yeah. having all of those this little cinematics and theatrical play to say, hey, it's it's about to happen, and there's a countdown, and I remember trying my best to, you know, stay awake and not be on the video game or whatever when that time got here. I was personally, I I was waiting for the Michael Bay remix. Still waiting. (laughs) Uh, The drive was the third and longest one yet since the car-sized rover touched down in an ancient crater back on August 5th uh, to study whether the Martian environment could have been favorable for life. Among other things. I mean, this thing has labs up the wazoo. It's got, I I forget what they're called. There was two in particular. Uh, One of them will check the geology and the other one does like mass spectroscopy or something. But very cool stuff. Uh, And this is Arthur Amador, the mission manager. He said, quote, it's nice to see some Martian soil on our wheels. Or is that Mojave Desert soil? Ah, nobody will ever know. (laughs) Uh, They say scientists have said they'll eventually expect the rover to travel about the length of a football field each day. So going about 100 yards a day, not really moving. But hey, we're there to do science, not get stuck in traffic, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Curiosity spent Wednesday at its new locale snapping pictures of a distant mountain that is its ultimate destination. Uh, intriguing layers of rocks have been spotted at the base, and most of its two-year mission will be spent examining the lower slopes. So, I, f- I feel like 
like people need to continue talking about this because it's an unmanned mission and unless you have humans there the public at large really doesn't care and i think they really should this this is a key event to get children interested in science and space exploration again like they should be using the crap out of this in any way they can possibly spin it to get it out to the public at large and to get people back interested in this stuff because if nobody's interested nobody's gonna fund it and we're gonna sit on this rock until we die and then i won't get to go to mars and then come on send me to mars seriously well i mean some of this stuff is interesting but like i said when we first had the landing all right, I've had enough of seeing the, yeah. the mountain out in the distance. Yeah, I you know, that. you know, at least show me a, a, a fire ant crossing around or something. <laughs> I don't know. Show me a deer <laughs> or something. I mean, know, come on. Give me something. Is something that moves? You know, but yeah, like a raccoon. Or... Yeah, yeah. Um, the a, mar- a Martian yeah. raccoon. <laughs> you want to talk about getting the children interested in it? I think it's it's hard to get them interested in just looking at. A landscape like that, unless they're—it's uh, the context to be though. a geologist it's, or something like that. I think you have a better chance of getting them interested if you hand them a Raspberry Pi <laughs> well, computer. Yeah. That is, you, you can't just I mean? show them like that stuff. You have to give them some sort of context and put it in terms that they will understand. And I mean, even a lot of us, we don't understand a lot of the astrophysics that goes along with this unless it's something you're interested in and you read about. Yeah, and yeah. the majority well, of people could give a crap less, you know, really. I just did a little calculation for what we spent on the uh putting the rover on the on Mars, we could give every man, woman and child in the United States uh, a Raspberry Pi. At least yeah. one. But then if you take that number in comparison to like, oh, I don't know, the Olympics or other such, let's say maybe the war on drugs or even the war in Iraq or even the war in Afghanistan. I mean, pick a war. It's, it's nothing in comparison. It's where, where do you want your money to go? Should we be exploring or should we be killing more people? You know, yeah, yeah. we are overcrowded. So who am I? But, you know, Amen. it's just like <laughs> overcrowded. Overpopulated is what I meant. <laughs> uh, the other big news that kind of has been happening is this whole Apple Samsung uh, patent dispute, kerfluffle. I don't know what you guys yeah. want to call it. A disagreement. <laughs> sure. Uh, what do you What do you think? Are any of you guys really following this, or are we burnt out on lawsuits, Larry? No, I haven't followed it much, but I did come across one thing today which I am not qualified to understand. But there, what's the website that legal... Uh, LegalZoom? No. AppleLegalAdvice.com? No. It doesn't matter. I can put... Uh, let's stick in the show notes. But I, I read on, a, on one of the legal websites, and there, evidently there's a YouTube movie of an interview of the foreman of the jury. Ah, yes. And, and did you see that? Yep. Yeah, and the, the gist of the story was... This guy is so clueless that, that, that it's going to give Samson terrific grounds for, for an appeal. You um, think so? What I got from, maybe I watched a different video, but they were, he was talking about how they wanted it to be more than just a slap on the wrist for Samsung, but they didn't want it to be over the top. Like the, what, what did it end up being? $1.05 billion in damages? So, and, and the judge may triple that, which is another thing I've read. The judge could say, well, that's not enough, you know, but 
he made it sound like they were really into it. They were in the room with the lights off comparing the iPhone brightness to the Gal- the Samsung bright. And, you know, they were like actually looking at this stuff, which maybe that does go to say they are clueless because any normal well, user. What, what, these guys, what this article was saying, it wasn't attacking the award or, or anything. It was saying that the guy showed complete ignorance of what can, constitutes prior art. Oh, like in regards to the prior art. I thought a statement something to effect that for something to be prior art, it's got to be the very same program running on the same processor. <laughs> I mean, it just, yeah, well. um, you know, just bogosity like that. And so they felt that, that, that it's going to provide really good grounds for uh, for, you know, an appeal altogether. But Larry, couldn't can't the judge say that if they would have gotten people more qualified, it would have polluted the jury pool? Because they would have a bias one way or the other. You almost have to get clueless people so they're removed enough from the case to not... You have to educate them. As, like, that was one of the claims, I guess, that, that Samson made. Hey, there's tons of prior art for this. And but didn't the judge times, not let them... I thought the judge wouldn't let them submit a lot of that just in no, the no, first don't place. They, don't they have to know the depth? I think they have to teach the jury enough to know the definitions of terms, right? Well, yeah, not, that. Not to, but there was bias on it. And this guy evidently had a, had a misunderstanding. He had an extremely high bar for something. Like it had to be the very same code running on the same processor. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Prior art. Yeah, that's... Velocity. Uh, so I I don't know. Again, I am not a lawyer, and I'm not qualified to say. But well, I'll dig out for you the show note um, link, and other people can read why they think that this this uh, Google or the uh, YouTube interview is really damning of the, of the bird. Yeah, yeah definitely. I'd like to see that there. Yeah, I'll send y'all a link to it after. Uh, I'd be interested to see where our listeners stand also with this. If you guys email the crew at yetanothertechshow.com or we'll have a conversation on Google Plus uh, about it for this episode. It would be interesting to see, is, is it too much? Is it not enough? Is, should it have happened at all? Does this just demonstrate further the problems with our patent system in regards to technology? I mean, it, there, there's a ton of different things. And then so after this came out, Google and Motorola, Google-rola, started suing Apple. So we're going to kind of keep going down. And now what I, we kind of talked about this briefly on uh, the last attack of the Androids episode. Apple has the iPhone and that's it. As far as phones, they have the iPhone, they have an iPad, iPod, but it's all, they have the iPhone. Uh, Android has a million different manufacturers, a billion different handsets. If Google gets something stopped on Apple's side, I think that will do way more damage than if Apple got Samsung stopped because there's still, just for the whole ecosystem overall, there's still so many. If Apple loses their iPhone, you know, that that's not game over, but it's, you know, that's a problem. Yeah, that's a bunch of revenues going. Exactly. If they, lose, and just, if they lose a suit like this, can't they, uh, well, first of all, appeal it and everything, but at some point, they'll have the right to license. If, if everybody finally decides, yeah, they infringed, then won't it just be they have to pay a license fee? And it's not they're going to really never make another iPhone. Well, right. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, sure. I'm going to make a couple of predictions. Okay. So, so, so my first prediction is 
three months from now, or maybe six months from now, we're going to look back on this case and we're going to say it didn't make any difference at all. The second prediction is um, that, that this is all only going to re uh, reconfirm something we already know, which is the patent system in the U.S. is broken. And the only real beneficiaries are the lawyers who get to get these whopping big fees for beating up the other side with their patent lawsuits. And the third prediction is Samsung and Apple are both going, and, and Android, uh, Google, are all going to do just fine in the marketplace because they're going to find they're going to find technology solutions that steer around the patents and still bring great products to the marketplace. Samsung's, Samsung's a big boy. They can, if they have to pay a, 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 a damages, it's not going to kill them. And trust me, they're going to they're going to move on and they're going to continue to market great phones. Well, and they're kind of opposites. Like Samsung does TVs and appliances, and I mean they have yeah. a, a gamut of different things. Apple, like I said, they have computers really if you want to just kind of encompass that all into one term like they do computers and, and that's it they don't have other other lines of revenue and i mean they're not struggling <laughs> like clearly they don't need it but all it takes is one lawsuit to kind of flip that and i mean it's not going to dent the money they have in the bank but I, I don't know it could start a slight snowball effect and it could end up being kind of bad for them in the long run. It could end up making their prices go up. Right, or give them a bad name. It's costing us, but I agree with Mike, it's probably pretty marginal. Or the PR nightmare that goes along with it, you know? The last thing they want to do is have their shiny image tarnished by this, you know? Don't you think some of those people on the jury were thinking... Yeah, we gotta vote for the USA. The hell with Korea. Right, we're gonna yeah. get all. We're all gonna get free iPhones out of this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you you put a you put a trial like that in Silicon Valley, and you get a Silicon Valley jury, and they're gonna root for the home guys. It's a good point for sure. Yeah. Is that why the Google Q was made in the U.S.? <laughs> Do you remember the Q? <laughs> it still didn't. Uh, still didn't help them at all, right? The so Q, uh, singular. Yeah. <laughs> Q as in wait in line because you'll never get it. <laughs> Promise. Uh, to wrap a, this I'm, up. How about another theory? Is is this going to help uh, Windows Phone? Because it's obviously not doing the same thing as the other guys. Well, that's the next story I got on the list here is that Samsung is kind of going all in with uh, Windows Phone. Maybe a little diversification. Who knows? Let's wrap this up first. Uh, the award, the third largest in the history of U.S. patent litigation, will likely cruise into first place next month when the U.S. District Court Judge Lucy Coe decides what additional amount Apple should receive from Samsung based on the jury's finding that much of the infringement was willful. We're going we're gonna to purposefully, willfully fool all of the customers because customers are stupid and they can't tell the difference between an Apple and a not Apple is what I get from that. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. We also so. just lost Ant. Nah, he'll be back. It's fine. Hey, Ant, you're back. I swear, sometimes you guys just do that on purpose to give me something to edit. No, I th I, th I think actually what happened is Samsung in Discovery had to give up some internal communications that that basically when you read them sound like Samsung set out 
to make a iPhone look-alike device to counter I runaway iPhone sales in the first year or two of their marketing their product. So, you know, they took a calculated risk. They're going to get their hands slapped. Samsung's going to survive in the marketplace, believe me. I think all of this is going to work out better for us. Hopefully, we'll get some type of better innovation, you know. Yeah. You know, the slide the slide to unlock was was a pretty neat idea, you know, for a touchscreen phone. But you know what's even yeah. better? The slide to open an app, left for camera, up for Google Now, right to unlock. And even in you know, CyanogenMod, the custom ROMs, you can set that to whatever you want. The Droid X Something tells me we're going to see that in iOS 6 too, right? <laughs> you think? <laughs> But Jim, where do you draw the line? Let me ask you guys. When I get in my car these days, not when I was a kid, I put the key in the ignition and turn it to the right to engage the start. Should have patented so that. That's Damn not it. that's not slide to start. It's twist to start. Okay, but how many cars have twist to start? You know. But it's Is because nobody patented it, right? It's because at the beginning, nobody patented it. Is that? I mean, could, well then, shit, could I run out and patent it? I mean, that's the thing. I don't get Probably it. not at this point. Thing, and I agree, it's kind of cool, but how can you give a patent to something, a user interface is my life? Well, that's what's <laughs> flawed in the patent system. There's so many, there's only so many ways you can do certain things. Like, if I tap on something, there's only, like, one way to do it. I have to tap on it. Like, I, you can't patent a tap. And that's a lot of this stuff kind of seems like because of the the inability of the patent system or the patent office to recognize that technology is technology and there's only so many ways to skin a cat, so to speak. Uh, and they were giving out these patents and the people that got them are like, no way. Did, did you get we got it? Oh, my God. Let's sue everybody. You know, my only concern that I had, I, I, I remember talking to some Apple folks earlier, and I'm not here to be an Apple basher or what have you. That's my job. I give them, you know, I give them credit because they, they knew the game, they knew the rules of the game, and they played it better than anybody else. You know, they basically went and ran to the office faster than everybody else did. But my problem is if Apple or anyone else comes in and tries to, to patent something that's fundamental, such as the chair that I'm sitting in, you know, you know what, this chair that's down the street at the so-and-so furniture store, we, we're going to sue them because when Anthony sits down in it, his legs are at a 90-degree angle. Right, but you know what the argument you know? is for that? They patented it. If you wanted to patent it, you should have. If yeah. it wasn't right, and that's, again, that's flaws in the system, not... Yeah. Is it Apple's fault for exploiting the system, or is it the system's fault for allowing such exploitation to take place? Yeah, and it's that's the argument I've been seeing all over Google Plus, Robert. It's a little bit of both, but I mean, I can't fault Apple for going out and taking care of that slide to unlock. I remember hearing it, hearing it in his keynote when they introduced the iPhone. I remember Steve Jobs like, and look at it. You you, you slide to unlock it and. You put it in your pocket and you know it's safe. Patent pending. I but you know what, and I've seen I've seen feature phones long before the iPhone come out that had that. They hmm. had a little thing on the screen that was just barely touch, and you would slide it, and you know what it did? It unlocked the phone. Ah. 
Hey, that's prior art. I'm Except just saying. Not running on the same processor, the jury phone. <laughs> it, they weren't even smartphones. They were just like feature phones. The but feature the, phones. it was when the first, uh, I, I want to say, LG feature phones started coming out, and they had touchscreens. It was the very first touchscreens, and they they were terrible. But it had that, and it had a little lock symbol, and I, I vividly remember that you had to slide to unlock. But... Where, where do you draw the line, though? In the it sounds like we're all saying, hey, slide to unlock's not that big a deal. Is notifications a big deal? Because some people say it's okay for Apple to do it to Android because Android is open source. It's not okay for Android to do it to Apple because Apple is not open source. So is that Android's fault for being the open alternative or is it Apple's fault for taking advantage of it? I mean, it, it's all relative at this point. So the, net, the bottom line is I'm, I'm going to patent this idea that when you get in your car, that long skinny pedal on the right, when you press it down, the car goes faster. Accelerate. <laughs> I can get a patent on that one. I'm going to patent oh, this podcast boy. workflow thing. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me in the least to hear that there's a patent for the accelerator pedal. <laughs> well, and then you just have companies oh, doing the push, push button there. starter. I you thought I hit people. on the annuity. This system is so broken. <laughs> so, uh, where do you draw the line? In the sand. Moving on. <laughs> Mike, where's the line? I beats the hell out of me. And where where's the line? The line? I think is wherever the judge draws it, not where we draw it. There you go. So, Samsung coming out with its first, coming out first with its first with a Windows 8 smartphone. Is this them just wanting to throw a little variance into their uh, device lineup, or is this them kind of saying, you know, we don't really want any more lawsuits, so let's get under Windows, the nice warmth of Windows 8? I'll bet they've had backroom talks with Microsoft about just this topic. Microsoft being like, we're already getting five bucks per Android phone. So you can either pay us or you can pay us, <laughs> you know, either way. It, it is cool. I like seeing choice like this. It's good to see. Do you want a Samsung Galaxy Nexus running Android or do you want a Samsung Windows 8 or do you want a Samsung iPhone? I mean, what do you want? You know, we... <laughs> we have it all. This is, this is Samsung hedging their bets. I mean, it's... Sure. Uh, the the window phones they probably has a lot of promise, but it's not happening yet in terms of the apps marketplace. So you know it's a it's a bet on the future for Samsung. Uh, maybe it pays off in the long term, but until that apps marketplace takes off for Windows Phone eight, yeah. Is it? Yeah, let me ask so you this, Mike. Is it possible to have a successful wow. smartphone? Hey, it's the ad. Is it possible to have a successful smartphone without a developer community? Is it possible for the maker of that operating system to provide? I mean, there's just too much functionality, right? That you couldn't, unless you had a big giant team of like 100 developers working for you, you need that ecosystem, right? Uh, yeah, I think you need the creativity, the energy, the the randomness of a, right that of serendipity app, that comes the serendipity yeah. of a big app developer community. I don't care how many brilliant people you put up in Redmond, Washington, or in uh, Mountain View. No one organization is going to come up with all the goodness. And let's say hypothetically, your company is doing that, and you did a study 
that showed you what the top 100 apps, the most used apps on people's smartphones were. You cloned all of those apps, not patent infringing, but you created from scratch because your operating system is different. You made them all and you put them on there. Is that going to give you any, I mean, it would be better than not having any at all, but it's still not that, that random, like, Ooh, look at this. Did you know your phone can do this now? And you're missing. I I think a more likely way to achieve that is you go to those hundred companies and you say, hey, would you do a version of your app for our machine? And we'll there you go. Little- and that, in yeah. which case, you're back to the whole app ecosystem anyway. So yeah. it doesn't really matter. But you don't need 200 million, 200,000 apps. No, because not at all. I mean, how the, many... You get the top 100, you're a long ways toward the goal of getting a foothold. How many apps are in there compared to how many do you use or how many you have installed compared to how many you use? Because I, I have a ton of apps that I've installed as a... Um, just in case my Android VNC, just in case I ever need to VNC here, like I can, I never use it. Like, you know, and there's a ton of apps like that, that you use maybe once in a great while, if that, and they're mostly just in case there's a lot of that. I feel like, you know what I think the apps are about, I think the apps are really about buzz because I agree totally with you, Matt. I've got, plenty of apps that do the core functionality that I want to do. Right. But I think the fact of a steady stream of new apps coming online all the time creates a kind of buzz in the environment and the community. And people are drawn to that buzz and want to buy that device. It shows use. It shows popularity of sorts. It shows that, you know, this isn't just going to go away like Windows Mobile 6.1. You know, there's going to be updates and and constant reworkings and fixings and stuff. How many different apps have you guys used in the last month? In the last month? I say I use my core, whatever's on this home screen right here. I, you know, text secure for messaging, Gmail, file explorer for network stuff, my calculator, Google plus all my social, my six cents, Google plus Mizo for TV shows, movies, seismic for Twitter and, uh, flipboard. I just started using, which I, I'm enjoying. I'm somewhere around 10 myself, not like you, you know, you know all my map stuff. Like Matt's got 20. Well, and I use this during, I drive for a living, so I have a lot of stuff like that that I use specifically for my job yeah. almost. My and you're also into this stuff. Right, also. And I have to find a new godforsaken app pick every week for AOTA. <laughs> okay. But, but yeah, and I mean, the folders thing is nice. Like, I have my social folder with all that, my maps folder with all the different, because I have like four ways, glimpse, my tracks, and maps, and then... You know, all my music and media stuff, YouTube, Netflix, Winamp, Google Music. But really, out of the, I mean, here's, here's a, a, you can see apps, 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 apps. Wow. <laughs> and like Good I said, I use, I use maybe 10 or 15, whatever's on that home screen. And then over here, I have, you know, my settings and stuff, all my games, uh, games over here, and then my calendar, and then my apps that I like, but I don't really use. I have the NASA app, which is amazing. Evernote, Drive, XDA, my calendar, and the, the little flashlight. And that's, I mean. I, I would think, I just was thinking, my wife has an iPhone. And she does instant messaging, email, takes pictures, emails pictures, and the grandkids play a few games. Exactly. I think that's about it. I don't think, she, I don't think that thing does anything else. Um, 
maybe once in a while read a, a book or something. You know, read some, yeah, read the New Yorker or something. Sounds like she's a candidate for jailbreaking her iPhone. <laughs> Sounds she's like. But I'd say she does. All I'm trying to say is she doesn't need. There, there yeah. might be two hundred thousand apps, but she doesn't care. And she's probably a typical user. Well, and how many apps are duplicates? I mean, you see this a lot in Android. If you do a search for uh, just something broad, there's like 20 different versions of it's like, which developer do you trust? Which one has the better permissions? And I mean, I'm sure a lot, the majority of people don't even look at that. You know, they go to the first one or the one with the cool icon and that's it. And that's how we see these fake apps with malware. You know, they're cloning icons and, and like I said, for us, that, does, that never works. Like, come on, you got to be smarter than that. But for the majority of people, I used to fix computers for a living. And one thing we ended up having to do a lot to get people to use Chrome was change the icon of Chrome to the Internet Explorer icon and then rename wow. Chrome. I'm not even making <laughs> wow. this up. I would do that because I was so sick of fixing the same thing. Granted, I was getting paid, but it was just an aggravation. I was like, you know what? Check this out. And from that point on, never a problem. Wow. Here you go, sir. We've upgraded your your Internet Explorer 6. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. It was that. But they were so in the habit of clicking that blue E. Even if you deleted it from the desktop and hit it somewhere, they would be like, they'd call you and be like, where's the Internet? (laughs) What? Where's the Internet? What is that? Use Chrome. No, I don't know what that is. I need Internet Explorer. Oh, my gosh. And my so, users are not that bad. Holy cow. Well, you don't live in Montana. But <laughs> that that did the trick, though. The second I did that, I started doing it everywhere. Regardless or not, if they used it, I, I just would do it just so it was there and done. And it worked like a, like a charm. That's cool. It's pretty I good don't stuff. know. I think I'm at the question your, your ethics there, Mr. Matt Lee. You're right. I should have let them continue using a, an Explorer that's completely exploitable and then charging them 100 bucks an hour for every trip to go uninstall something. You're right. No, my ethics totally <laughs> I fully agree with you. So, uh, over the week, we've seen some interesting things about Android. I just wanted to mention it. What do you guys think of a Nikon Coolpix camera running Android? Is this kind of pointless? Can that take advantage of better apps for the camera processing? Uh, What do you think, Ant? Well, you know where I stand with cameras versus smartphone cameras. You know, I do a weekly column (laughs) just showing off smartphone cameras. Would you rather have a smartphone with a Coolpix? Or I I don't even like Coolpix. I like the Sonys because they use the Carl Zeiss lens. How about you put Uh that stuff into my phone and then... That's the route I would rather go. You don't have the room and you can't do an optical zoom and, and stuff like that. But... Even when I went to Mexico, I had my Sony CyberShot, which takes just beautiful pictures. I had my Galaxy Nexus. Didn't touch the Sony once. It was all I was using this the whole time. And I I don't know, maybe it's because I'm not printing out pictures. I'm using it mostly for the internet. So if I use the Sony, I have to compress everything and then clean them up and then post them. Whereas the Nexus will just do it. Like I don't have to shrink anything they're not, you know, 12 megabytes a picture or anything like that. So I, it I depends mean, if you're using it for web or for print. But That goes back to, you know, our show three, four weeks back. You know, we talked about that website, Dear Photograph. And right. we, we asked, at least I asked, what's the value in a physical photograph nowadays? Print, you know, and that's really yeah. 
people I mean, want to hang it, them on their walls. And it may depend on the generation or what have you, but I mean, you can have these nice, um, high expensive cameras and whatnot, but I don't see the value. In well, and speaking of the generation thing, Larry, you still have the the camera that you put your head under the hood and you have the flash and you got to. Yeah, he slides that plate in. It's really cool, man. Awesome. You know, the thing you hold up and it goes. Right when when he said look at the, the birdie and it was an actual birdie. I love the explosion. No, it's seriously. Um, seriously, I do. No. Um, why do you have to choose? Damn whippersnapper. Why not? Why not? I've got a Panasonic point and shoot thing that does twenty to one optical zoom, and you know it, it's it's a better camera than than the one that you guys have on your cell phone. Uh, why not, as you're saying this, why not have Android running in my camera and a nice camera in your cell phone? Why do we even have to make that choice? Let me be a pig. <laughs> because some of us are poor and can't afford both. No, no but I mean, I how much know. does it cost? How much would it cost? Did it, does it cost? Um, what is the cost to Panasonic of letting it be an Android computer? I don't think anything really. I mean, other other than proprietary and maybe getting sued by Apple. I mean, other than that, you know, who knows? <laughs> yeah, you make I can, sure it's running Windows 8. I can see why they don't want to do it in the smartphones because, I mean, as we are now at this this thin, like, you yeah. don't have much room. You can't oh, put... That's for sure. But going but the other way... Why, why not let a camera... What I was wondering, what's the marginal cost of letting your camera run and an android total android computer is it i could maybe see like uh, nasa's whole uh, argument about why they use just enough computing power to get the job done they want to keep it simple you don't want blue screens of death when you're trying to take pictures so these camera companies use their own proprietary systems with firmware that you can't really mess with i mean i'm sure you could if you tried i've never tried but it seems a lot more locked down a lot more control so that they know exactly what's happening when you're doing what you're doing on the camera. If you start muddling it up with Android and all these different apps, you're going to eventually get a conflict. I'll have something halfway. The thing you were talking about, you want to take a picture and, and put it on the net, and you want it to be compressed, not too heavy and whatnot. That can just... You could do that know, now, and that's can't do it, but that could be a really easy function. That's one of the things the Nikon with Android is doing is that there it's it has Wi-Fi built in, and in order for it to work, you have to be online with it. But you can take a picture with your real camera now and share it to and whatever you can, service yeah, you want. You can tell it to do the compress. You know, you can say do. Yeah, so it, it will do that on the fly. That would be easy. Or why are you even having your camera do that? Shouldn't whatever service you're uploading it to be handling that? Well, then you got to upload the whole thing. Right, granted. Sure. I guess we're going to be I come at this question, I guess, a different way because <clears throat> I've got a little pocket camera. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, not, a, not an icon, uh, but a Canon. And it has an operating system uh, that is sort of kludgy and not all that great. It's very similar to what Nikon provides. Uh, the hardware in the camera is certainly superior to any phone I, hardware I've had. So why wouldn't I rather have the better hardware and a smooth operating system like Android 
instead of Canon's clunky operating system. I think it sounds kind of appealing, to tell you the truth. I'd give it a try. I didn't think about it like that, but that's a good point. You know, all these, all these pocket phones, if you're going to have a pocket phone, you want it with the best um, operating system you can provide. Because what's it all about, Mike? Why do we use our smartphones more than our regular cameras? They're more accessible. I can pull out my smartphone and have it taking a picture in like two seconds rather than unzipping my backpack and grabbing my camera yeah, but, and turning but it on. Here's the thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be taking a trip uh, later this, this year to uh, Czechoslovakia in Germany. Ooh. And, yeah, ooh is right. And I'm going to take... I'm, I'm not going to take a big single lens reflex like I used to travel with years and years ago, but I want something better than my, uh, my smartphone. Is it because everything in Czechoslovakia is in grayscale? <laughs> it's a real high-risk country. I'm sorry. I, there's an episode of the IT crowd where they're in Russia and everything's in black and white. Yes. Do you remember where they're smoking? It's getting cold out here. Listen, I get it. I get it. It's a good line, man. Yes, Natasha. Very cold. But I, I, do, I do see the value of... Um, of having in that little camera, I mean, not today, but, you know, next time around, having in that camera the ability to do some uh, uh, some better work. You know what I'm really more excited about is once you get Android on these Nikons and the Sonys and wherever else it's going to be, what you can do as far as connectivity, I can use the camera and set it up somewhere and then wirelessly I have my tablet that I'm using as the viewfinder and the remote for the camera. So now I can plant my camera wherever, and I can be wherever and monitor it. You know, stuff like that. And uh, kind of like the Google Glass thing, being able to do things without having to grab your phone and touch it. You know, you can, if, if they can incorporate Google Glass into this with, you know, being able to use your tablet as other uh, accessories, I think there's a, it, it, can, it can go anywhere at that point. I'm really excited. Let me for ask that. you guys: Do you guys ever take pictures with tablets? No, but no. when I I saw a lot of that when I was in Mexico, it was really weird, and it was all Apple tablets, yeah, all iPads. It was I all didn't the see iPads. Yeah. One I see Android. that here in Charlotte, people doing that in in downtown Charlotte, and I I'm laughing because they're they're snapping these pics and bumping into people. Yeah, yeah, like, like holding. Dude, oh, so funny you know, to watch. My wife, that's her. Favorite way to take pictures. She runs. She doesn't run for her iPhone to take a picture. She runs for her iPad. And the thing that's really cool. Hi, Matt. The thing that's really neat is you see the picture big right in front of you. That is and cool. Better viewfinder. Yeah. But is it cool. worth this? <laughs> Hold on. I'm sorry. I can't see you. Hold on. <laughs> see. But it's in- hilarious. I've seen that a lot, man. And and. Yeah. I, I used to joke with some of the folks here because you always see people doing that and they end up bumping into someone. Yeah, for sure. And we're like, you know, you have that huge viewfinder. You had to see these hundreds and thousands of bankers coming down the street towards you. I, I laugh every time that happens and someone just gets it straight snatched out their hands and he's gone <laughs> down the road. Now that's cool. Thanks for the iPad, sweet. <laughs> And then uh, the other interesting thing, there was a, a story that came out. I will not focus too much on this, but NASA is using uh, Android and the old Nexus 1s and the Nexus S in some satellites, which is, yeah, I, I, I thought that. was pretty awesome too. So it's, it's kind of we're, we're finally 
not in the way we expected like two Googlios ago, but we're starting to see Android everywhere. Not not like they said like in your homes and off like that, but it's it, it's it's starting to, which, which is kind of interesting, I think, especially the whole NASA thing. I saw something on Google Plus about Apple suing them and putting NASA out of business. <laughs> <laughs> oh, people had I, mad jokes on G Plus last week about uh, about all this stuff. I, I was like, thank you, Google Plus, thank you. It's good stuff. I, I heard those guys that from NASA on a podcast and. They, they gave themselves a challenge to do something like a, build a satellite for $10,000 and some really a bizarrely cheap thing. And they used just what you're saying, Android phones. Did you read about, I, I heard on a, a, I think it was the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe podcast, they said that somebody in, not the Middle East, but somewhere over there, was on a message forum trying to get information on how to hack the Mars Curiosity rover. They were Whoa. looking about NASA signaling and uh, how to capture the signal and then reverse engineer it and then build their own antenna so that they could hijack it. And that I just thought about it, like hacking from 10 million miles away or however far it is like that just kind of made me feel really small for a minute. I was like, holy cow. And they couldn't figure out if it was a real person really wanting to hack it or if it was an FBI setup, seeing if anyone would be like, oh, yeah, I know how to do that. Come here. Let, let's talk. But I, I thought it was kind of interesting. But you knew that would be an obvious uh, attempt, though, right? I don't know. How many rovers have they sent up there? And has that ever happened before? Like, it's... Well, that's the thing. It, it hasn't happened before. You know, you but got anything people that's, short... that's wanting to take down the DOD because the <laughs> DOD wasn't taken wow. down. You know, so that was the first thing they went after. You know, why not? Anything short of replicating the equipment and antennas and signaling that NASA is using, you would almost have to break into NASA and do it from there rather than build your own. Unless you know signal theory and you know hardware, like it's no small feat. I mean, how many people worked on this Mars rover project? You know, and you just you some random dude, you're gonna hack it like all by yourself? Really? I don't know. Uh, you yeah. want to do any more, uh, Larry, on the Olympic coverage before we get out of here? Was there any final thoughts to put that thing to rest finally, um, please? My, my final, I, I did uh, a whole bunch of posts because I was just into kind of watching how they were doing it. Because that's all you uh, do is post. I think the bottom line is the BBC kicked, did a better job than this. Hands down. Hands down. Better streaming. Uh, they had commentary where NBC didn't have commentary. But Larry, yeah. why is that? We all have oh, the same technology. Here's, here's my grand theory. Ready? I got the answer for grand that. Grand unified theory. Hit us. The grand unified theory. BBC's customers are the people watching the Olympics. NBC's customers are the advertisers. Boom. Ah. Boom. Setting them up and knocking them down. That's good. I think you got it. Yeah. And uh, also, you know, BBC just, they had so much of a better viewer. Like NBC, it was, that was another thing. NBC, watching the Olympics streaming, it was like watching TV, you know? You'd sit there at their mercy. You'd see the event. They're cutting to commercials. Like once in a while, they'd pop up some, some graphic, you know, about the standings and stuff. BBC understood that the user was interacting at a computer and they gave the user more control. Yeah, their UI was I much better. statistics to see when to see the statistics. The user could jump. 
they had the uh, clickable chapters. So if you wanted to see a particular event, you didn't have to wait till it came or hunt for it. You clicked on it and you saw that event. You want to see it again, you clicked again and you saw it again. Larry, does this have anything to do... designed as an interactive experience. Does this have anything to do with the difference in broadcasting rules or laws between the UK and the US, maybe? Or do you think it's strictly about the advertising money and the BBC, what, they don't rely upon that for their main funding as much as NBC is basically all ad-based? Or I don't understand, like... We all have access to the same technology. We all could have been on Justin TV streaming it. Like, what's what's this, I'll set give them you, I think some of this stuff, for example, what I just said about the interactive nature of the of the player, I would think, and that's BBC, Susan, like Apple, I would think that NBC has learned from that. And the next time they do a live event, they will have they will build it as an interactive thing rather than sort of passive will they though or will they try to milk every last dollar from cutting the commercials in between the 100 well, meter dash in the commercials regardless i mean that was all another i mean you know the commercials would just come at almost arbitrary points. But that's what i'm like, saying they could have been like more tactful no producer uh, but even if a guy say has control to display his own statistics you can still just at an arbitrary point lay a commercial on it but they could have been more tactful about it like i've i didn't watch any of this but i read that they were cutting like right in between events right. to go to a commercial and people totally were getting arbitrary points. You had the sense that nobody was watching the stream and, and that a machine was deciding to put in a commercial every so many minutes. Oh, like we hear on certain podcasts that do the automated commercials. It'll just cut like right in the middle of a conversation and be like, here's an ad for whatever. When are we going to start running those? Commercials? Never. <laughs> no. I will continue going. I think they'll learn. You know, I think they're going to learn a bunch. The other thing is not that the kind of production and commercials and that stuff, but also the quality of the video stream. And Google did that. That was a YouTube thing. And I would hope that they also have learned uh, from their experience. When I watched the BBC thing, I was watching through a VPN. And as I recall, I can't remember exactly, but it was something like I was getting sort of 2.3 megabits per second. When yeah, I was watching the NBC stream, I was getting 15, 16 megabits per second, and the, the BBC stream was as watchable as NBC. So Google needs to learn a little bit more about how to, uh, how to handle the huge loads of... of uh, Which, didn't they practice that before doing a Rolling Stones concert? Or I, I remember one of the very first live streams that YouTube ever did was a big giant concert. I forget, I want to say Clapton, or it, it was somebody older like that. And they had a ton of people on there, and it didn't skip or stutter once. Now, granted, the Olympics are going to have a much larger audience, but Google's come a long way since then also. Yeah. And it, let me also tell you, I think it really seemed to me the first day or two, it was totally unwatchable. And I think they made some midstream, midstream changes to the whatever they provisioned. Some on-the-fly, real-time tweaks. Yeah. So I guarantee you they will do a better job uh, you know the next time they do something big event like well they got two years they got two years <laughs> right I'll, I'll tell you Larry Olympics man I don't no. that is Olympics didn't watch it tried to avoid it as much as possible uh, Larry I have given up on American commercial television there you go as, as long as uh, NBC is tied to uh, uh, the the advertiser as their customer 
I am uh, I'm not going to be their viewer. Okay, but let me give you a, okay, we're, a thing we left out. For the Tour de France, they, they, you know, they had on TV, they had ads, but they did a pay-per-view thing, and it cost you 29 bucks, and it was a much more satisfactory experience. I mean, that was a good $29 for me to spend. I enjoyed the Tour de France a lot. Which, was, uh, I would, you know, I'm not necessarily going to, Put out the twenty nine dollars for the Tour de France, but if it were if it were an event that I wanted to follow, I would, I would pay, and that's essentially the BBC model. I'm not not quite. I mean, the BBC model, as as we all know, is is they take uh, essentially they tax users of yeah they license users of uh, of the service in Great Britain. Yeah, you have to pay for. It. I forget how much, but so much for a black and white TV and so much for a color TV. Yeah. And then they've got a budget, like we said. Then they try to build something. They, those guys don't have to worry about satisfying advertisers, and they just try to build the coolest thing they can. And that's how, that's how you innovate. And you know the other thing they did that, that sort of flows from that? After the Olympics were over, I've got a post that gives links to it. The guys that built the, you know, the, the web designers, the, the technicians, the all the infrastructure, they all got all those guys to have blogs and they give a lot of detail on what they did. And by the way, they yeah, say that's cool. that this stuff is open source. Uh, well, I'm sure you know, you know they mean, didn't want to pay licensing fees. I mean, come on. No, no. I mean, they are this, like their player, for example, I think it sounded to me like NBC could say, you know, not have to worry about being sued by Apple or Samsung or something that, the, the, the stuff they've developed for the Olympics is, I believe they they said it was open source. That's pretty cool. I wonder that's if that's cool. to give them free reign to use it for different Olympics. I mean, is is the Winter well, Olympics the, the same thing. as the Summer Olympics? Twenty twenty, I think NBC's contract is up, and at that point, uh, if BBC says to me. Hey, Larry, I know you're not in the UK. You didn't pay the license fee, but hey, you can watch the Olympics from us for uh, you know, 29 bucks. I'll go for it. It can become a global market. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Before we get out of here, this you had some interesting uh, posts here. Do talking heads, speeding up playback, and transcripts make presentations more effective? Hmm? You okay, wrote about this. I'm coming from on that. I'm really... Uh, you a know, talking head kind of guy? Yeah. Huh? You're really a talking heads kind of guy. I'm a talking heads. No. Actually, if you look, I'm, I was thinking that was in the context of, uh, of online classes. And it, it's, I make videos of these uh, modules that I build, and I don't do talking head. I thought, hey, it doesn't matter. Um, now, but, when you say talking but, head, give give us a quick definition of what you mean by that, because what I think of talking head is totally different. Oh, well, it's it's okay. When I if you go to a watch a video of one of the teaching modules I put up, what you see is you see the screen changing, but you don't see my face anywhere. You just see me talking over narrating what's on the screen. Right. So by talking head, you're meaning I'm basically watching a lecture. I'm seeing the teacher teach, basically, or, rather or than or else they're different. Uh, thing. Like some of the big players, like uh, like um, maybe there will be a you know you see the guy teaching it and his face is in a little window somewhere on the screen, or like uh, the the guys at uh, uh, what's it called Udacity, 
what you see there is you hear the guy's voice and you see his hand as he's writing on a tablet. Uh, whereas the Khan Academy, you just see the tablet, a cursor writing on the tablet. So uh, is it worth it to remove the visual well, of the teacher itself to replace the, it with is. other information and tools? Yeah, okay. So there's a cost to having the talking hand or the moving hand or whatever it is. You need to be able to relate to it somehow, right? And that gives yeah, it a human yeah. face. So the, but the thing is, to me, that – and I've got a whole bunch of – I have about a half a dozen of things that to me seem to be researchable. You do experiments with – uh, talking heads and without talking heads, and then see what the results are. See if the people are as engaged, if they learn as much, if they retain as much. And there's other things like, uh, what is the effect? Is is it you know, it, it, instead of playing the thing at full speed, what if you speed it up by 25 percent? Uh, you save time, you save bandwidth, do you cut comprehension? And the, those kind of things are researchable. And I think that the online education committee community in the next five or ten years will do that research and we'll start seeing some convergence on best practices is it really though is it able to be done really scientifically i feel like there's so many differences from person to person that what works best for me isn't going to work for ant isn't going to work for you isn't going to work for mike speeding it up for one person may be great but it could be detrimental to the next person it just seems like there's so many differences from brain to brain. It would be hard to quantify all of this. I mean, you can take averages and, and estimates and, and everything. But yeah, I mean, the, the first pass, you take averages. The second pass, you try to control for other independent sure. variables. Like, uh, the, you know, the you know, you're talking about there. But I, I think that we're seeing, like with so many other things, we're seeing just the beginning of the use of, the internet and education in a big way. Oh, absolutely. And I think that we're going to, that we will, um, okay, just the examples I gave. My classes, all you see is the stuff on the screen and you hear my voice. If you go to uh, the Khan Academy, you see the guy as he's writing and you see a cursor. If you go to Udacity, you see a guy as he's writing, but you see his hand. If you go to uh, Google's online classes, you see the face of the guy as he's talking. The full lecture. On and on and on. And that'll get sorted out, what works and what doesn't. Well, and can't, you can almost see that, too, just in podcasting. I mean, the, the audio-only podcast compared to the podcasts uh, like the Twit Network or like us that we yeah. release videos yeah. and audio, yeah. it, it depends on the person. Yeah. Like, when I'm driving around all day, I, li- I listen to podcasts. That's all I listen to. I'm not watching them, though. And sometimes there is. There's something that they'll be showing, and I'll wish that I could have seen it real quick, but it's not like like I have to, you know, I get just as much from just the audio than I would if I was watching it also. Absolutely. Let me give you a, yet another distinction. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> there's, we're, there's two things and I, I have no doubt about this one. What, what you're talking about with your podcast and I listen to a lot of podcasts or these classes, those are our presentations. What we're doing right now is a conversation. Right. Yeah. The, do you remember when we had, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he just came in on Skype or something. We couldn't see his face. Oh, That's, Eric. Yeah. Yeah. Eric, yeah. Okay. That to me felt weird as shit. So I am completely <laughs> convinced without doing any research that for a conversation, the talking head pays off. But the main part of that is knowing when the other person's going to talk. Skype used to do that. And I think it still does. If you're only doing audio, 
it'll light up the person's icon of who's talking. Now, that's much harder to do to get the crosstalk down to a minimum. But when I can see you, I know when you want to say something. You guys know that, like, if I'm sitting back, go ahead and talk. But if I'm up in the mic, I got something I'm about to say. And we can interact that way. And I think it, it does depend on the level of interaction. The The teaching stuff seems more of a two-way street than just yet another tech show where we're talking to the audience. If the audience types something in the chat, I'll read it, but it's not, we're not asking them to do something. We're not saying here's a math problem now solve for X. You know, it, there's that two-way interactivity that I think is really important to be able to have, you know, the face there and the tools as opposed to, I'm just telling you stuff. So listen up. And Larry, what kind of feedback did you get on on Google Plus? Because normally your threads, you get a lot of different reactions and, and comments when you put a post out there to um, you know asking a question or what have you. What kind of feedback did you get? The on first this? one, I got quite a few people there saying uh, one feedback was I had talked about what's the impact on retention and comprehension, and one feedback was hey, pay attention to engagement uh, as well as as those other two things. Uh, other feedback, uh, one was just totally, I didn't, it was so obvious. That I, another thing that guy suggested to test is whether it would help, and I do this, so I, it just seemed to me obviously would help. But it's a question, does it help to have a transcript as well as uh, the presentation, the, the video, the presentation? So I got a couple of other suggestions for other experiments to try than the ones. I had suggested, I think, four, and I got two more uh, suggestions. But, uh, you know, that was about it. It was an overwhelming amount. And the one that I, the other post I did, though, about how I thought in conversation that it definitely pays off, uh, it just feels less weird. Um, well, for you or for the listener? For, oh, no, for the conversants. Oh, well, yeah. who cares about them? This is all about the, the listener. This, I don't think they give a shit whether we can see each other. Or not. Right, right. But do you think that it makes the conversation more organic when we can all see each other and feed off the body language or the facial yeah, I expressions? Think part of it is what you said, Matt. Is is uh, it's we give little clues for when to make the transition to pass the floor, sure. kind of our collision detection mechanism. Um, but the other thing, yeah, we're doing CDMA here. Uh, but the other thing, maybe it's something way down in your basic animal brain or something. If you can see the person you're talking to, it's not quite as spooky. I was not, just going to say a that. Afraid, a little bit frightened by it. It's it's a little... Uh, well, it's not that. It's, disembodied voices maybe triggers up some primeval fear. In it's the awkwardness. We as humans, as a species, I mean, ever since we've developed language, it's always been, I mean, just until recently with the advent of the internet, our conversations, you know, I guess minus the phone and stuff like that, but our base conversations have always been in person. They've been face to face unless you're writing a letter or something like that. But then you're it's a different form. So I think evolutionarily, we have that ingrained into our minds that when I talk to somebody, I expect multiple signals of feedback to come back at me. You know, I expect to see the body language, the facial expressions the voice, you know, and, and, and within each one of those, you have different variations in what, what's happening. And I think with the internet, you kind of took that away. And now with, you know, this real time video stuff, we're starting to get it back. And some people that were always on the internet in IRC, stuff like that, 
they don't like being on video. They're very awkward when they do hangouts, if they do, because it's too much like a real conversation, and they don't like that. They, they're very uh, antisocial, I guess, and they would rather sit and type up an email and send it or send a text message than pick up the phone and talk to you, much rather than being face-to-face or on a video with you. They look into that camera, and they just freeze up, and they, they feel weird, you know? There was a, a CHI researcher at MIT, I can't remember her name, years ago, did a study of basically uh, surveying people and asking them basically the following question. How far away does somebody have to be before you'll walk, instead of walking to their office, you'll pick up the phone? And <laughs> a great variance. Man, that's a good question. Yeah, isn't that cool? Uh, you know, for me, I'm, I would uh, walk a mile to avoid a phone but other people that pick up the phone to walk, you know avoid walking two inches one thing about people in houses that have you know first floor second floor how many times do they just pick up the phone dial it hang it up let it ring pick it up wait for the other person and be like hey dinner's ready click yeah. <laughs> you know i don't walking down the stairs screw that <laughs> yeah my wife just screams man <laughs> All right, so uh, we're at the end of the hour here. Before we wrap it up, there's a couple more interesting things. And you mentioned T-Mobile. We talked about this on AOTA last night. T-Mobile is going to offer unlimited, unthrottled voice and 4G data plans. Uh, we mentioned that the big companies take away the unlimited. This gives a chance to the little companies, unless you live in Montana, uh, to to offer something else. Say, hey, you want your unlimited? And T-Mobile had taken Unlimited away also, so now they're giving it back. Uh, my question was, how many of these smaller companies need to offer Unlimited before the big companies give it back? Or will that ever happen? I don't think the big companies are going to ever give it back because they have so much leverage now because of their coverage. They're like dogs. They got that taste of blood in their mouth, and now they're like, oh. I mean, oh. It, it was great to see this in news from T-Mobile, but... Sadly, here in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, T-Mobile's horrible, man. Sadly, sure give me un, you know, give me unlimited data and with, at 4G speeds, but I may see that 4G speed about 20% of the time. You know, you have to go find the one T-Mobile tower in North Carolina and stand right next and, to it and stand there all day. You know, it's it's was a return on the investment there. We don't even you know, know T-Mobile up here. We just got AT and T, I think. Just recently. Sprint. Sprint has had this same plan, I know, at least a year, because I always see their commercials with Dan Hesse, their CEO, uh, talking about uh, why would you limit the power of the iPhone by throttling the data plan, you know. But Sprint, their coverage here is it's spotty at best, too, you know. What do you think, Mike? I, I don't know. I mean, uh, T-Mobile... It's such a marginal factor in the Bay Area, at least, that it's hard for me to see them making an impact on the business model of either AT&T or Verizon. Sounds so, like that everywhere. And maybe this is uh, their last-ditch effort to try and save themselves after the merger didn't go through with them and uh, who was it? Was it Sprint that tried AT&T. to buy them? AT&T. AT&T. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. Is it, it could be a last-ditch effort. could be, you know, it, it could be their Hail Mary pass. They need a game changer. They need. They need rim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, rim. That's a great idea. Put two lead weights together and see what. Happens. Throw them in the ocean and see what happens. <laughs> how how much faster can they sink together right. than separately? No, you have to stroke. 
Come on. <laughs> Going the wrong way. Ah, oh, crap. Well, T-Mobile has good coverage in L.A. Well, good for you, Larry. Yeah, they, that's the thing. Like, why do they have such lame coverage at so, all? Is they so have the money to invest? They're just you not just up here. my stats, Larry. That's 25%. You know, of the crew here. You know, <laughs> you just proven my stats. Yeah. Know? Oh, that's yeah. funny. And then uh, to wrap it up, talking about the, the carriers, you wrote something about this, Larry. The FCC just approves of Verizon and Comcast, a little gentleman's agreement between cable and wireless companies. Is this a good or a bad thing for net neutrality? What do you think? Oh, well, <laughs> it's all bad in this. No, I, that to me, uh, I mean, it's maybe I'm being paranoid, but no. yeah, what if they, they've said, okay, guys, go ahead. You guys, uh, AT&T, Verizon, you guys, you guys deal with this mobile crap and let's let the cable companies do the landline stuff. And not only that, they can even co-market each other's stuff. So you can, you can, you can go into AT&T stores and, and, uh, get Comcast cable. Uh, it just seems like a, a further way to kind of cut down competition, you know? Yeah, so um, you wrote on a Thursday, Verizon Wireless won unanimous Federal Communications Commission approval to move forward with its 3.9 Instagrams purchase of 4G LTE Spectrum from one of the largest cable providers. The partnership also enables the cable companies to market Verizon services and in some cases sell their own services inside Verizon stores. Yeah, they put some limits on that. Good again, like, red. So what is that saying? The cable companies are saying, hey, buy our, our uh, spectrum we're getting out of that business. Well, think of it this what way. What happens to me in L.A.? I come back to L.A. Can I get Verizon? Is Verizon investing in infrastructure for you know landline infrastructure here? No. No, but check it so out. So I have one choice for internet provider, Comcast. But they don't have to. Think That's of it this it. way. What kind of new package deals can they provide now? TV? Landline, voice over IP, home internet, and introducing mobile. Oh, hey. Yeah, plus, they plus. Will, they'll sell each other's stuff, and, they, and that way they don't have a competitor. They've got a market. Exactly. They, 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 Verizon has a marketing arm for their stuff in Comcast, and Comcast has a marketing arm for their stuff in Verizon. And think of this, too. Uh, what is? Got, I have, the bottom line is I have one choice for internet service provider. I have I have two choices really. I can either have 15 uh, megabits per second cable, or I can have 1.5 megabit per second DSL. <laughs> right, which you have one choice. <laughs> no, check it out though, because DSL is asynchronous; cable is not. So if you have your 50 megabit cable connection and you're on a pedestal with a hundred other people all watching Netflix at the same time, it just dropped down to 500k cable. Whereas oh, your DSL God, will terrible. still be 1.5 megabits, regardless of how many people are on it. So there, there is yeah, that difference. I, but, I break out speedtest.net, and I've never seen it down below 10 or 12. I hate to tell Really? You. That's good then. I, I, me here, Seriously, I'm on the only pedestal. I'm the only one. I think there's two of us on this pedestal. So mine's always 30 megabit all the time, which is nice. There you but, go. Uh, so yeah. I it, know if it gets any worse, you cutters and take care of that other guy. I know, I'm going to take him out. <laughs> I'll have to bridge it, couple it up to mine. Now I got 60 megabits. What's up? <laughs> but so think of this also. A lot of these cable companies are trying to be content providers, but only if you're a subscriber. So does that also give them an opening 
to double up and get those mobile customers saying, hey, if you get us and them, we can stream all of this television content to your mobile device and you won't have to mess with uh, ARIO or whatever that, that one company in New York's who's trying to do this uh, with there their antennas. It, it, it kind of seems like it opens up a whole new business market possibly if depending on how they do it because you know everyone wants yeah. to create content. No one wants to be just a dumb pipe. So if you can merge your mobile with your your uh, fixed, you know, you can, I don't know, seems like you could offer other things that would want to, it would get people more apt to use it rather than, uh, I have a bill here, I have a bill there, I have a bill over here. It's all in one now. But like you said, that's terrible for net neutrality. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> so, all right. Well, hey, great show, guys. I'm glad that we're back together doing these Again, weekly on Wednesday, yet another techshow.com. Join us during the week, throughout the week, for great technology and other discussion over on our respective Google Pluses and our Facebooks and our Twitters. And then definitely make sure you follow the show. Uh, we have page on Google Plus, Facebook, and Twitter for the show itself. And that's how you know when we're live. We say, hey, it's time for Yats. Break out some chats. Let's do this thing now. And we're here. So, uh, yeah, that's that. Make sure you subscribe to iTunes, write us a review. We appreciate that. Help spread the word because that's what we do. We just sit here and we spread the word and we educate, especially Larry because he's an educator. <laughs> Leave us a message for the show, 406-204-4687, and we'll catch you guys next week. Tech Show. Check us out online at yetanothertechshow.com.